It's been said that it's impossible to hate someone whose story you know. That's why stories matter, because they show us that we have more in common than we realize. My name is Bindu Lokray, co-founder of Consciously Unbiased, and I'm your host for this special Break the Bias podcast miniseries that is all about sharing and listening to each other's stories. It's such a hard thing to navigate because on the one hand, I'm seeing this woman and she wants to work. She loved who she was in the workforce and she wants to contribute and that's her goal. But she feels like she shouldn't because then, quote, someone else is raising her kids. And I just feel like, but what if we reshifted that? What if we reframe that narrative? What if instead you're going to work to contribute and feel like it's what lights you up? It's filling your cup, if you will. And now you've got a full cup to be a, a mother to your children. Because guess what? You're still a mom if you're only with them from, you know, the mornings, the nights and the evenings. Like just because you're working doesn't make you any less of a mom. And I think that there's an entire culture of people who will shame working moms and people who want to go back to the office. The point being, I think if we reframe the narrative and look at it as an investment in ourselves, if we are going to invest in childcare, which should be more accessible for stop and not so freaking expensive. <laughs> Everything is just about a shift in perspective, in yeah. my opinion. And, you know, if you have the means and you've got the option, right, which so many of us do not, and that's also a crisis in and of itself, maybe it's okay if you go back to work a few days a week and it's a net neutral, but you're getting something out of it as a person. Yeah, right? absolutely. Um, because you are still a person, yeah. even though you became a mama. You're right. still a woman right. and you yeah. still have the right to you know, contribute in, in the way you see fit. Today, we are thrilled to have the dynamic Adriana Karig, founder and CEO of Little Words Project. 10 years into her business, it's been a beacon of growth and influence, especially after icons like Taylor Swift and Lance Bass featured her bracelets live at the VMAs. Adriana brings us into her journey of dealing with initial worries that quickly transformed into a burgeoning brand presence inspiring partnerships, and an adorning celebrity clientele. We're diving deep into more than just business growth as Adriana courageously leads the charge in shattering the silence around breastfeeding in the workplace and on social media. She recounts her experiences and the importance of supporting women's choices and pushing for a corporate culture of understanding and empathy. We'll also delve more into workplace equity, civil engagement, and the personal stories that shape us. This episode is truly centered on self-love, resilience, and the power of positivity to transform not just our inner lives, but the communities we're a part of. Let's get started. Little Words Project is founded based on your very personal story. What gave you the courage to open up and create an entire business based on your life experiences? So, you know, I started Little Words Project because I had personally grown up dealing with so much negativity my entire life. I was bullied from a very young age and, you know, I had used kind of words of affirmation and words of encouragement to get myself through those difficult periods of, of life. My mom was actually hugely influential to me as a Mexican woman. She always told me, Quereres poder. she always taught me that I am amazing. I am the architect of my own destiny. I can do anything I set my mind to. And she really filled my cup in many ways. And I learned early on to lean on words of affirmation to get me through difficult times. And so she was truly my rock 
through that experience. And I took from her those little nuggets of wisdom. And I actually started creating jewelry for myself when I was a young girl and then well into my teenage years and then into my college years. And it was in my college years, actually, that I made my first batch of bracelets that were meant to be shared. And that's what Little Words Project is at the end of the day. It's a product that's really more about building community and spreading kindness and self-love and the whole idea is to pick a word that means something to you, wear it for as long as you need it, and then pass it on one day to someone who needs it more. And that whole concept really did stem from that experience of negativity growing up and wanting to create a community where I previously didn't have one. Um, so what gave me the courage, frankly, is those very words that my mother taught me from a very young age that I then put on my own wrist, that I then shared amongst my sorority sisters in college, and then later with you know millions of women who now sport these bracelets bracelets and love the words that they carry on their wrists that help them through difficult times. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And it's funny you say the word courage. It was actually my third word. The third product we ever made that was a true little words project bracelet was the word courage mm-hmm. um, because it is, it takes so much courage to get through difficulty and then to also take that negativity or that mess, if you will, and turn it into your message in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, we know that one in five students report bullying Mm -hmm. every single year. And that's just the ones that are documented. There's so many that are undocumented. Right. Can you share like a story that of that you had growing up where you were bullied? Oh, girl, we could go back. (laughs) I have had stories every, it's funny, I used to say, like, I had a story from every single year from kindergarten through college. Every single year I had an experience with bullying. You know, I think I've blacked out many of them, but I'm, I'm actually in the process of writing a book and I'm having to, like, uncover a lot of them. And, you know, one of the ones that sticks out to me right now is I was... Feeling a lot of my bullying was a result of, I think, of, of who I was more so even than what I looked like. I was always very outspoken and, you know, fun, I guess I would call myself. But to others, maybe it was annoying. Like I was loud and very much so unapologetically me. And it rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. And I think people just wanted to kind of dull my shine is really how it felt and or how it feels now looking back. I'm sure in the moment it felt a little bit more like I was just like, why is this happening to me? You know, you, you when you're targeted for any reason or another, you really, and you're so young, you can't really understand why this is happening. But looking back, it feels like it was very competitive my whole life. And one of the main issues that I found myself in was I was in a group of friends. Uh, It was me, two other girls, call them Jen and Jamie. And Jen and I had become a little bit closer than Jamie and Jen. Mm. And Jamie got upset. Jamie told her older sister, who was like one of the coolest girls in high school, and she was a junior at the time, and it became her life's mission to bring me down and make me feel like I was, you know, just an outsider and that I didn't belong or didn't fit in. And I had gone on a a family vacation. Um, I was, I want to say 13 years old, and I had come back from vacation and I had come back to my phone, which I had left at the time, which that's how you know, it was like a, another lifetime when kids left <laughs> their phones on when they went on vacation with their families. Yeah. But I had come back and I had seen I had like 57 missed uh, messages, all from blocked numbers, and I didn't understand. And then I, I, I'm holding my phone trying to figure it out as I get a phone call from a, a guy friend of mine who was like, Adriana, you have to listen to your voicemail. And so I listened to my voicemail and someone had changed it. It was, it was a guy. It turns out later I find it was Jamie's older sister's boyfriend who had changed my voicemail answering machine 
to, you know, from hi, this is Adriana, leave a message to um, hi, you know, in a feigned Spanish accent. Hi, uh, my name is Adriana. I'm a dirty Mexican slut. Mm. Um, Fuck me, I want to fuck you, like really awful, awful, awful things. And mm-hmm. mind you, I'm like, not at all. I'm like a very sweet, like, not that person <laughs> as a young girl. And I heard that. I mean, my father had to hear that. My mother heard that. And we had to, I mean, I changed it. They had changed my 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 password, so I couldn't even change it. Um, so we had to, it, it became this whole nightmare. You know, cops got involved and it unfolded into many more things with this specific group. And it just it was very much so just a place of like, it was almost like a pastime for this group of people that mm. they were passing my phone around a party and, you know, they were the party house in, in high school. And so they were passing my phone around a party to listen to this voicemail and like get a laugh at my misfortune for just being in the wrong friend group, frankly. So yeah, it, it sucked. That was a, that was a pretty shitty time. And hopefully we can curse on this podcast because I clearly just Absolutely. went in. <laughs> um, but that was the experience. And that's what I had to hear at like a, as a 12 year old, 12, 13 and it it was hard and it was one of the those were one of the f- earliest experiences i remember of my the cruelty i experienced and the bullying i experienced being racially targeted because prior to that you know i hadn't had that like epiphanal moment of like oh i i am the brown girl in this group in any way like i was always just like I don't know. I was very Americanized. Like I didn't have that experience growing up to that point. And then from there, I started to recognize it a lot more and it became more of like my storyline than it had ever been. Um, and I, I think it's because of these, this group of people who really just like elucidated for me that that was going to be the one thing they were going to hold on to. It was like, I'm Mexican. It, it was shocking and jarring. Um, but yeah, it kind of set the course for the rest of my life in how I perceived myself and how I started like recognizing that others perceived me as different and maybe less than because of what I looked like. Yeah, I can relate to that. Um, I grew up in a really small town outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Blue collar, white town. My family defined diversity being yep. Indian. And my father was a doctor in the community. And so he was a doctor for the majority of the people in the community. Right. And there was some privilege that was associated with that attachment. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we were brown, we were Indian. It was very different from what a lot of people really experience. And yeah. it's really like, it's it's lack of cultural experiences is, yeah. is what a lot of it I felt boiled down to at the right. moment. But I remember growing up and in middle school and in high school, I'm a lot older than you, so I didn't have phones, but people, <laughs> we had wooden desks. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and yourself way back. <laughs> I, totally way back. But people would carve in Bindu the Hindu mm. and cow lover mm. onto the desks. And it stung. I mean, it really did. But I think at that time, like you were saying, you're so young, you don't really understand fully what the depth of all of it is. Right. But also at the same time, I truly do think that a lot of it is just lack of experience. Yeah, absolutely. I would completely agree. And people just not knowing. And, you know, that kind of followed me and continued into college. And I went, somehow I went to, you know, a very white bread college. I didn't realize that I was doing, I had somehow gone somewhere that had less diversity than my my high school did um, without necessarily realizing it was just affordable and a great school at the time. Where'd you go? I went to the College of New Jersey. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. And 
at least in the circle that I was in, I, I was like, I had a friend of mine say I was her first Indian friend. And I was like, okay, well, I'm not. <laughs> so I'm, I, I'm happy to be that for you, but that is not who, that's not what I am. Um, and it's just like, I started to feel very defined by what I looked like more than I ever had in my past and call it blissful ignorance or bliss, I was just so blissfully unaware. And I, I miss that point in life sometimes, you know, when I was just a kid and yeah, I could be made fun of because my mom didn't let me shave my legs, but that wasn't because I was Mexican. That was just because my mom didn't let me shave my legs. Looking back, it probably had a lot to do with her upbringing and her being so strict had a lot to do with her culture, where she came from. So it's all intertwined, but I just wasn't aware as much of like how much of an impact my background had on my life. Absolutely. Um, and then that continued into college. And, you know, I, I remember feeling like the ugly girl in every room because I was different looking and I was brown. And, you know, I ended up marrying my college sweetheart, Bill, who is as white as his name sounds. And <laughs> he, um, he was the first and only guy in school to make me feel beautiful, like to really like catch me from a mile away and make eye contact with me. And he loved me because I looked so different and he had never met anyone like me. And so I think it can be a blessing in a lot of ways too, right? And it could be, and it is, it is a blessing in, in a lot of ways to be different, to have that cultural diversity and to add spice and character to a space that maybe otherwise would not have that if it weren't for you and your um, cultural differences. So I've come to make it a superpower, but you know, as you know, it can also sometimes just be like you're fighting this uphill battle and you don't know if you're ever going to win. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. You know, I mean, I think it's just, it's so important to be so honest and vulnerable mm -hmm. about our lived experiences because that's how we grow as yeah. people. It's how we grow as a society. I want to tell you a story, please, from my middle school, high school year can't even remember. I think it was middle school. It's so embarrassing. I like I feel very sad to admit it, but there's a reason I'm telling you it. Okay. So let me set the scene. Okay. Teenage love triangle sets mm. two friends on fire. Mm. I swear T Swift probably wrote a song about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but my friend and I stopped being friends because of a boy. Mm -hmm. And the worst part about it is that we divided the entire class in half and people chose to support either one of us oh wow by wearing rubber bands on their wrist <gasps> and so if they supported one of us they would have a slew of rubber bands on their right hand and if they supported another one they'd have a slew of rubber bands on their left hand oh my gosh and honestly I don't even know how it started I don't know who started this trend but I still have like horrific images of walking into classes <gasps> and sitting down and seeing people with their hands with just stacks of rubber bands. It was disgusting. Oh my gosh. Truly, I'm truly like, disgusting. That is so triggering. It, <gasps> it is. And I mean, I was one of the people involved in it. And at some point, this girl and I, we just kind of looked at each other and we said, what the hell are we doing here? Like, this is so ridiculous. And we stopped it and it was over. And whatever. But when I see your bracelets, it mm. just brings that up so raw and vivid to me. And I'm so grateful that my daughter, who's 12, is wearing your bracelets of positivity instead of these polarizing rubber bands. Yeah, I've never heard of someone leveraging something that could live on their body like that to, in such a negative way. Like you always think of 
bracelets and, and you think of like the Lance Armstrong bracelet and like you think of those rubber, you know, uh, bracelets that like indicate different organizations and nonprofits. And, you know, then there's our bracelets, but I had never heard of something like that. And that must have been so awful. I'm sorry you went through that. That's like it's so awful, so awful because it's a visual representation of what people believe. Absolutely. And you know, to to your point, little words were created to be that, but to the positive, right? Like a visual representation of a kind person, of a safe space. Like if you see someone in a little word, my goal and what I hope and I do feel like we've established it within the community that we have built is that, you know, that's a safe person and you know that she's a member of the community of kindness and that, you know, she might have on her wrist a word that you so desperately need that just one conversation could result in you walking away with that positive affirmation because she's decided to pass it on. So the fact that you have this such a awful experience to the, to the opposite. I'm like, I'm blown away that we're even having this conversation right now. It's such a beautiful dichotomy, if you will. Absolutely. Um, But wow. Oh my gosh. No kids, (laughs) people, it doesn't even have to be children because I, you know, I saw this continue in my future, right? Where like, there are times now where I am at certain tables and I know that I'm Maybe I'm just checking a box or maybe that I, you know, I'm not really actually wanted at this table um, or perhaps that's just my own perception. And that's half the battle, too. Right. Like when you grow up with this experience of your life in, in, in such a negative way, you know, half the problem is that you're it never leaves you. And now you're stuck having to constantly talk yourself off these ledges of am I just here because they need you know, to have some diversity in this Instagram reel right. <laughs> after the fact? Right. Yeah. Or am I here because they actually want me here and they think that, you know, I'm up to snuff, if you will. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's been hard and I'm sure you've experienced the same. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Um, so, according to a re- recent article in USA Today, there are only two Latina CEOs in Fortune 500 companies. It's amazing. Isn't that wild? It's insane. <laughs> I don't under I, And honestly, you know, to to give my my people a little credit here. Listen, everyone that has a beautifully culturally diverse background, like we're all I I personally believe some of the hardest workers I've ever met. Like I know the Indian culture is like very like hardworking and yep. you know, really um aspirational and m- ours as well. Like, I feel like, how is it possible? Like, how yeah. is it not? It, and it, it's got to be the systems, right? That, yeah. that we're within. Um, yeah. Because we're some of the hardest working people that I've, I've ever known. Absolutely. Um, so it's crazy that that stat blows my mind. I know, I know. But there are people like you, right? There's people like you. There's yeah. leaders of color that are charging through and paving the way. Trying that, to get there, yeah. Yeah, trying to get there. And people of color experience microaggressions all the time. Mm-hmm. Latino women women of color, mm-hmm. what is your message to them? Like, what would be your biggest tool or technique that you use mm-hmm. to help combat microaggressions? Yeah. Well, I think what's so dangerous about microaggressions is that, you know, sometimes they're imperceptible. And sometimes when they do happen, you don't know the long lasting effects they're going to have on you. And so it kind of brings you back to my experience growing up where I experienced these both outward aggressions, microaggressions, all forms of racism really that led to cruelty and negativity and essentially defined who I was for many, many years. And I remember, you know, 
every time someone would kind of empty my cup in that regard, right, Mm -hmm. I always had my mother there to fill it back up. Mm -hmm. And she really taught me the value of self-love and self-hype, if you will. And my mom's, it's not uncommon for my mom to like look in the mirror and in her Spanish accent say, I am totally awesome. Like that's her favorite. (laughs) I'm totally awesome. She has like a brace. She made a brace, one of her first that she made for herself that says TA for totally awesome. And I'm like, you're so funny using this like very Americanized word, totally. It's just very cute. Um, But she does that. And she's always taught me to like look in that mirror and tell yourself what you want to believe. And so one of my favorite tools in my toolkit for getting through and dealing with, you know, the difficulties of of some of these microaggressions that I do experience every day is that self-love. It's practicing, looking at myself in that mirror, telling myself that I'm beautiful, that I am wonderful, leaning on the community that I have built of of women and, and people that celebrate me for my differences and and for what I look like and, you know, just celebrate, looking at how far I've come, right. And letting that build me up. So it's, it's kind of a tough answer because it's so personal to so many people, what their experiences are and, and how badly and how bad they are really at the end of the day. But if you can try to tune out that noise through those self-love and self-care practices, it can make all the difference in just, I guess, if you will, the, um, how full your cup is, right? And the, and the fuller it is, the more it's going to take for someone to empty it out. So just as much as you can fill it up and um, lean on those who are going to fill it up for you, I think the better. I mean, that's a life lesson. That's yeah. not just in work. Absolutely. It's like for everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's like the number one lesson I, I want to give to my children as a mom and make sure that they know that at the end of the day, you know, you are you are the architect of your own destiny, as, as my mom likes to say, because it really is true. Yeah. Well, as we've seen, you are the architect of your destiny. Mm-hmm. Your brand is soaring. Thank you. Um, the partnerships that you're doing now, Kind Bar, Peloton, and Taylor Swift. Yeah. Please tell us, how did that happen? The Taylor- what <laughs> is going on? So, yes, um, thank you. We're so delighted by all of the, you know, just attention, I guess, that we're getting right now. You know, this is our 10th year in business, so it's very timely after a decade to people are finally picking up what we're putting down, if you will. And we're just so proud of the growth we've seen. And one of those uh, pinch me moments that happened this past year was at the VMAs, Lance Bass handed Taylor Swift a stack of little words. And it's the coolest thing ever because obviously when Taylor came on the scene with the Eras Tour, the friendship bracelet kind of took the world by storm. Um, you know, we've obviously been making our word bracelets for the past decade. And so it wasn't necessarily new to us, but it was very new to a lot of the public sector, if you will, of, you know, the news and everyone wanted to talk about the friendship bracelets. So it did open a lot of doors and that we already were that category and the category lifted as a whole and that helped with the business growth. But that moment specifically, you know, when she first came on the scene, I started feeling a little like, oh gosh, like what if this totally cannibalizes the business and like it stops, nobody wants to buy our product anymore because they can make their own or they can go get them at at a concert or what have you. But when, she, when that moment took place and Lance Bass, who's a friend of the brand's, you know, wanted it to be us that he handed to her, it really put that stamp of approval and just that legitimacy on our product as the premier version, as the first movers, as the the original word bracelet, if you will. Mm-hmm. And um, when she received it with such joy on her face and such love and said, thank you for the friendship bracelets, it really was just this incredible pinch me moment. It gives me chills to say right now because it kind of gave it back to us in yeah, a way. Absolutely. Um, so it wasn't an official partnership with Taylor, but in that moment, it just shows like how 
kindness and the mission and the brand and the focus on the community more so than the bracelet has really garnered us a seat at the table, if you will, and yeah. made us someone, made us a brand that is worth um, talking about. So yeah, we're very, we were very excited about that moment to say yeah, the least. I mean, that is the most organic. Exactly. Partnership, marketing, placement. Yep. placement. Yeah. I mean, to be on the world stage of the yes. VMAs. And it's, forget Taylor Swift. I love he, the girl. And she is the perfect, like, ambassador for this brand, right? As the, the woman that she is, the experiences she had. You know, I, I love her. And my family and I were big Swifty fans now. <laughs> um, but... Lance freaking bass, you guys, like NSYNC yeah. wears Little Words Project. Like that <laughs> is like to me as the 90s girl that I am, like that's like, oh my God, it's mind-blowing that Justin Timberlake has a bracelet on his wrist as we speak, potentially. <laughs> I don't know. He might have taken it off, but Lance definitely does. <laughs> and that's like so cool, you know, and it really does just make you feel like this little dream that I had and this product that started in my parents' basement, you know, and my dad, the original shipping department, my mom, the original manufacturing department turned into what it is. And now we have, you know, thousands of retailers that carry our line, including Target, 10 retail stores nationwide. We just opened our 10th in Austin this past weekend. Congratulations. Um, Thank you. you. And, you know, we have the likes of Taylor Swift wearing our product is truly a a mind-blowing it's so awesome. Thank you. It's so awesome. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Congratulations. All right. We're going to shift topics here. Okay. And, you know, sometimes we've seen you talk mm-hmm. about removing the shame around breastfeeding in the workplace and on social media. Yep. You're really breaking the bias around breastfeeding as a whole. And in the U.S., bottle feeding is viewed as the quote-unquote normal way to feed your infant mm-hmm. as opposed to so many other countries. 20 years ago— there was a study that was conducted where only 43% of U.S. adults felt that it was acceptable to breastfeed in, pro- in public. Mm. And that was 20 years ago. Mm. It feels like we haven't moved enough from that stat, yeah, isn't it? I would agree. The American culture has just so long sexualized the breast, mm-hmm. making it embarrassing mm-hmm. and inappropriate mm-hmm. to feed in public. And you know, the, the conversation here isn't about whether or not a woman should breastfeed. It's about them having the resources and the choice to be able to choose whatever that may be. Yep. And you normalizing it, you normalizing it so publicly is so important because it's all interconnected. Yeah. The perceptions of others also affect a woman's choice mm-hmm. and what they decide to do, mm-hmm. um, whether it's the father figure, whether it's the coworker, whether it's the employer, and even friends. Yep. So I just want to know, like, can you tell us a little bit more what inspired you to use your voice to do that? And what's your hope? Yeah, thank you for saying that. You know, I think ultimately I am someone who believes that I have this platform for a reason. I think that everything ultimately, you know, the dots do tend to connect in the future and you can kind of understand why you were put in these positions, right? So I look back on my bullying experience and I now understand why I went through it, which in the moment I didn't. And now it's like, well, I was supposed to start this business. I was supposed to create this community of kindness, if you will. So I look at now that I have this community, right? What do I want to do with it? Like, how do I want to make a difference? And what I've kind of just like 
allowed myself to do is just like live my life, right? In yeah. publicly, like yeah. the way I choose to do things, I share with others. And everyone's experience is different. Everyone, breastfeeding is so personal. And so, you know, the decision to, the choice to, whether or not you feel like it was your decision or some other external reality, like you didn't feel like you produced enough or the system you're within didn't allow you to, or you had to go back to work after two months and they didn't have the flexibility so I never try to project what I think everyone should do, right? Because that's not my decision to make. It's right. yours, but that's the point. It should be your decision. You said it perfectly. It's a choice that you should be allowed to make. And so I was simply just inspired to share that this is my choice. This is a way. It's not the only way. It's a way. And if we all were open to sharing our way, or those of us with platforms rather, because that's who has the most, like the broadest stroke, mm-hmm then other people who are watching us would recognize it as another option. And we become like an expander for them, right? They have the ability to see themselves in you. So my hope is not that I change, you know, everyone's opinion into believing that breastfeeding is the way, because that's not what I, I don't truly believe that. I believe it's what works for you. So I was simply inspired to just share my story so that those who do want this type of life know that with a little creativity, because it is going to take some creativity to get your employer maybe to think it's okay to bring your baby to work, right? That's not always the case. And I get that. But that, you know, my commitment is to my team and making sure that they know they have that flexibility. And hopefully I inspire another business owner to do the same. Hopefully I inspire another mom to think, hey, let me at least ask if they'd be flexible. Mm -hmm. Um, or allowing them to feel like they have the voice to make that decision for themselves. So yeah, I'm just, in some cases, it's not been that pointed. It's truly just been like, well, I'm just doing this right now. Let's let's show the world cause that it's an option. That's great. Yeah. Um, you. Did you see that post about Isabel Lomax where she was breastfeeding on a beach? On a beach, yes. Can, yes. I mean, and this random stranger takes a video oh of it. Oh my gosh. And sexualizes the breast yep. to her four-year-old son and just blasts it out. There. I got to be honest, I kind of hope that happens to me <laughs> just so that I can get the, the can I can be on that soapbox yeah. because I, I, I dare you. <laughs> I dare you. I couldn't believe that. And, and I'm, I'm regularly doing the same thing. I am, I am breastfeeding everywhere to the point of it's almost like, well, what, what's the alternative? Like, yeah. I'm not going to go find a place. I'm on, I'm on the street in Austin. What am I going to do? Go find a place to go in and sit sit in a bathroom somewhere on the toilet and give my baby a meal at, at where someone else is just like gone number two? Like exactly. that's not the way. I'd rather it be on the street and, you know, he has the fresh air on his face. Like, look, but that's my choice. And if you feel like it's, you like the experience of being tucked away and you can just kind of like, maybe you want to take your whole shirt off, whatever, do you. Mm-hmm. But for anyone else to sexualize it and to make it something that it's not and, you know, not look at it as this like totally natural, beautiful thing that the breast was made for. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's on you. Like that's a problem you got to work out within yourself because I'm not changing your perspective in this moment, you know? And yeah. It, it is what it is, but it's it's rampant. It's rampant. And, yeah. you know, people are doing it every single day, yeah. like judging motherhood, decisions oh in motherhood. And you know what else Ben do? <laughs> it's other moms. Oh, 100%. It is other moms. The reason you even see those videos of me put on, on Instagram um, breastfeeding is because they're the ones that are going viral. And it's because it's inciting such rage in some women who are moms who felt that they maybe— got cheated out of doing it 
you know, because of whatever reason, or they feel like I'm projecting what I believe is the right way onto them. And I, and if you look at what I'm saying, you look at any of, you know, the caption or the content itself, that's not what I'm doing. And I think we're so quick to feel like we're on our heels when other women share their stories, because we are naturally inclined as women, unfortunately, to compete with one another. And in some cases, that's great. A little competition is good. But in other cases, it leads to cruelty. And it's the exact thing we are trying to change at Little Words Project. And so now Little Words Project doesn't necessarily stand for breastfeeding. That's not like it's, you know, MO. But it's definitely mine as far as not standing for breastfeeding as much as it's like standing for what a woman's choice, right? In every way. A mother's choice, a woman's choice, it's all your decision at the end of the day. And you should feel entitled to make it and not allow the the self-limiting beliefs of other women, other moms to prevent you from moving your life, moving the way you want to move in your life. Um, So my, my goal really is to keep sharing and have the women who would maybe jump to judge or jump to feel some type of way by what I'm putting out there, have them take a second, right? And think, what is she actually trying to say? And I think that should be this, the case for us everywhere. That's something that we really believe in at Little Words Project is this gift of second sight, right? That's what kindness is. It's not not judging someone because we're all human, yeah. but it's giving them a second to give them another chance to look at it again and move in a more kind and um, understanding way. So- Hopefully, and I mean, just moms, let's be nice to one another. It's hard enough as it is. Like, we're all figuring it out. (laughs) It's true. It's true. I mean, a lot of our work is based on just recognizing that we all have unconscious bias. And it's not a bad thing. It's ways that we we have to use them to shortcut life sometimes. But it's about understanding that they exist. And sometimes you have to understand that they exist and recognize that. So that you can check them at the door. Exactly. When it's not appropriate. Exactly. Recognize that, okay, I'm maybe having this visceral reaction because it's reminding me of something like I wasn't able to do. And there's a lot of moms who struggle with breastfeeding. I would argue, and in some cases, it's probably accurate that it's your body. But in other cases, you probably weren't provided the tools and you weren't prepared enough. You were told just how freaking hard it's going to be and told the level of commitment it's going to take to be able to do it. And there was no resources provided to you in the hospital system. And there's so much I could go down so a rabbit much. hole. So hard. It's so hard. But if you recognize that yeah. and you like accept it and half of the battle of life is acceptance, right? Whether it's accepting what you look like, accepting where you come from, accepting that you're going to be perceived as different and just like being delusionally confident anyway, right? Like radically confident in yourself anyway, that you made the right choices and everything happened, not for a reason, but as it was supposed to, and you'll get it at some point, then we'd all be so much better off, I think, right? So yeah, yeah, half my platform really feels like it's just encouraging women um, to understand that it's all going to make sense. Let it go, (laughs) accept what it is. And keep moving forward because at some point you'll be able to understand it in the future. Yeah, so true. I had uh, Reshma Sajani, Mm -hmm. CEO of Girls Who Code and Marshall Plant Farms on here. She's so inspiring. She was on the episode a couple months ago and she told me that 53% of women with children ages zero to five cited that Childcare was the biggest reason why they took a temporary step back from work. They took less hours 
or just wanted a less demanding job. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a real economic crisis. Mm-hmm. We are losing up to potentially $840 billion mm. by having women leave the workforce. Yeah. And we know that 88% of women that are looking for jobs today, they said that if they have better access to childcare, if there were less barriers, that they would just be more likely to go after a job. Yeah. And I know what you're doing in terms of breastfeeding and um, just creating workspaces that are great for women. But can you tell us, like, what are some other things that leaders can do to help create spaces that work for women? Yeah. You know, I think it's important, first and foremost, to understand what your employee is asking for, right? So if you're an, a, an employer and you have a space that, you know, can be flexible, find out what your employee needs, right? And try, do your very best to meet those needs. And there will be a case, there will be cases where someone's seeking flexibility for something that you're like, okay, like at the end of the day, you might just not understand the assignment here. Like we're, we're in, especially if you're in a startup world, right? Like in some cases, you really just need the hustle of your, your team just as hard as you have to hustle. You need that. But there will be cases where, you know, it's a mother or a father, you know, and in a lot of in a lot of cases, I have fathers on my team whose wives are mothers to babies and they need them too. Right. And they need their support. So how do you support parents in, in general to understand that, especially in those ages zero to five of your children, it's like the hardest years of right. your lifetime as someone who's currently in it. So I think it's just supporting your team the way they need and, and, and request to be supported because you are going to get the best work out of them at the end of the day if they feel happy and they feel understood at their workplace and that their employers are really listening to them. So I think just listening and trying to respond accordingly um, within your abilities, right? And if, there, if there's, you know, a case where you can't make that accommodation, then it's how do you support that person in other ways? How do you, if, is there a financial compensation you can offer? Is there a longer leave? Is there working from home indefinitely? You know, we've had cases where women have gone off, had their babies, had their maternity leave, and then we're like, I, I'm not ready. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Stay at home. We'll do this remote. And we figure it out, you know? And then they it's almost just being open to this new normal and the way the world is working and not wanting to lose someone's brain simply because they feel limited by the childcare situation, you know, and I'm obviously very lucky and privileged though. That was also paired with hard work to get there, right. To be able to afford childcare and full-time help. But I would also argue that it was not so much privilege as it was intentional investment because when you invest in the childcare, that even like there's a lot of moms or a friend of mine who specifically, she's a stay-at-home mom, doesn't want to go back to work because she'd be paying in childcare what she'd be making at work. Tale as old as time. Tale as old like, as time. And it's such a hard thing to navigate because yeah. on the one hand, I'm seeing this woman and she wants to work. She loved who she was in the workforce and she wants to contribute. And that's her goal. But she feels like she shouldn't because then, quote, someone else is raising her kids And I just feel like, well, what if we reshifted that? What if we reframe that narrative? What if instead you're going to work to contribute and feel like it's what it's what lights you up? It's filling your cup, if you will. And now you've got a full cup to be a a mother to your children, because guess what? You're still a mom if you're only with them from, you know, the mornings, the nights and the evenings. Like just because you're working doesn't make you any less of a mom. And I think that there is an entire culture of people who will shame 
working moms and people who want to go back to the office. And I don't know, I just, I, I could talk in circles about this all day, but the point being, I think if we reframe the narrative and look at it as an investment in ourselves, if we are going to invest in childcare, which should be more accessible full stop and not so freaking expensive. <laughs> Everything is just about a shift in perspective, in yeah. my opinion. And, you know, if you have the means and you've got the, um, the option, right, which so many of us do not, and that's also a crisis in and of itself, maybe it's okay if you go back to work a few days a week and it's a net neutral, but you're getting something out of it as a person. Yeah, right? absolutely. Um, because you are still a person, yeah. even though you became a mama, you're right. still a woman right. and you yeah. still have the right to, you know, contribute in, in the way you see fit. Yeah. I feel like you said a couple of things there that are really important. One is that there's not a one size fits all. Exactly. And I think as someone who is an employer who has a small team, it's important to be honest on both fronts. So Correct. like you were saying, there are things that you might not be able to give X person for X reason. There are other things that you could collaboratively figure out. Exactly. And as it relates to childcare, this is such a small period of time. Exactly. Right? Where the needs shift mm -hmm. after the age of five. Mm -hmm. You can be open and honest about it. Find a situation that works. Yep. And the other thing that you said was like understanding that you have to fill your own cup. Right. Right. That is so important. Right. I can say like even through my career journey, having kids, I have a 12 year old now. I've tried all the things I've tried doing full time. I've tried doing part time, back to full time, yep. starting a business, that whole thing. And when I hear her talk about my work and I hear her think about what I do, that makes it all worth it mm -hmm. because it means so much yeah. to, to see their parents doing something great. Yeah. And that's and not to that's say. that's inspiring as well. Yeah. And, and that's not to say that had you chosen to, you know, stay at home, which, by the way, I think that's the harder job. It is the harder I'm job. I, I, I consider stay-at-home moms to be some of the most noble, incredible women I know because they are really, truly, I mean, I got to be honest, I love my children, but I love a Monday morning. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, God, bye. Like, I'm on my way to work and it makes me feel good. But, you know, I think, and that doesn't make me less of a mom. You know, no. I think it's, it's really, it's about, it's not one size fits all. It's catering to your desire and knowing your desire. And that comes with, self-acceptance and self-love and through those self-care practices is just like getting in tune with yourself as a woman, as a person first. And how do you, what lights you up knowing that and trying to lean into that and investing your resources that maybe if you like lead a little bit more with an abundant mentality about it, you know, the money you're spending on childcare, you can make back, yeah, right? Right, right? And maybe even in tenfold if you put your mind where your heart is. If and you change that narrative. If you, you change, change that, that narrative. Right. But that's not sure. to say that working at home isn't also a beautiful thing. And everyone should be able to do what they want to do. And that's where I go back to choice and, and feeling like just delusionally confident that you're entitled to make whatever decision you want to make. Right. And yeah. stop fucking talking about other people's decisions. Yeah. Oh, my God. Let a bitch live. <laughs> live. <laughs> Sorry. Just let a lady live. That's all I ask. <laughs> it's not that hard. <laughs> well, so, you know, there is a lot of backlash and polarization mm -hmm. in the diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging space. Yeah. A big thing that we feel at Consciously Unbiased to break the bias is to just listen to other people's stories because most of us have very similar goals, which are healthier relationships and deeper connections. And yeah. I mean, truly from everything I've heard, I think this is also very much in line with the motto of Little Words Project. Absolutely. What 
do you think are the three biggest tips that you can give other leaders to help break the bias in their career? Yeah. I think it's exactly what you just said as my primary one is listening, listening to others, taking the time to find those resources like these podcasts, right? And listen to the stories of other women that both look like you and don't look like you and have a different journey because you're going to gain so much rich knowledge and be able to, you know, then share that as a leader of your, of your teams, right? Then it's, listening to your teams, right? Understanding what it is that they're needing. How do we make sure that we're providing you with that safe space that you're looking for? And everyone is going to come at you from a different perspective, right? And especially if you're hiring a diverse team, which is hard to do sometimes, but it's important. You're going to learn from each of those perspectives and hopefully be able to apply a close to one size fits all. But if in the cases that you can't, be open and flexible to offering alternatives and navigating things at a case-by-case level, right? It doesn't have to be so blanketed. And then I'm a broken record about self-love, but practicing that self-love, because if you don't love yourself first, if you don't believe in yourself first, and if you don't fill your own cup, who will, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? And, And you can't make intentional and sound decisions as a leader without coming from a foundation that is, you know, full and established, if you will. And I think filling your cup and practicing that self-love and having that non-negotiable, like for me, it's my nightly skincare routine. Those children can be screaming their heads off. <laughs> and what would have previously, like I usually would jump at that, but if they, if I'm doing my skincare, if I'm in the middle of my toner, <laughs> nothing is going to take me up. away from that. <laughs> Keep crying. I'll be right at, I'll be right there, but mommy will feel better. And then I'll be more patient and more um, willing to navigate the difficulties of the nighttime, right? So I think it's just knowing yourself, loving yourself, no matter what, you know, that means and having those non-negotiables and being incredibly um, intentional about sticking to them that will make you a better leader, a better person, a better mom, and, you know, kind of give you that foundation that you need to become the leader that we all need in this this society today. So now as we sit here in 2024, Mm -hmm. it feels like we have the same problems and inequities that we had in 2016, Mm -hmm. in 2020, Mm -hmm. and we're entering another election year. It's almost like we're at this tipping point Mm -hmm. of having to make real change as individuals. What are some activism-centered resolutions that you have, either for yourself or for your company or society as a whole? Yeah, it's funny. We've sat through, I was just talking with my team about this. We've sat through, this is our third election since being in business, which is crazy yeah. because I, I I hate an election year, man. It's so, <laughs> it's so tumultuous and it's so polarizing and it's become even more polarizing. And it's a shame because, you know, I think the number one thing that we do as a team and myself personally is advocate for, you know, doing your civic duty and voting, getting out there and voting, using your voice that if, if we have nothing else in this country, you hope we've got a, a legitimate voting process and we need to leverage it and we need to use it and we need to do our best to, to, to put people in office that we think will make the change that we want to see. And if they're not, then it's using your voice in other ways. It's contacting, you know, your local Congress people. It's seeing something and saying something. It's using your platforms for good. You know, within reason, I think with Little Words Project, we really try to recognize that there are people on all sides of every coin, right? That right. we consider to be, you know, 
they're all coming at things from different perspectives. And we try to be really welcoming to if, if you want to be here and you're kind and you want to p- practice kindness, we want you here. So it's a little harder there. But with my own platform, you know, you see I'm, I'm very unfiltered, if you will, and like to share my perspective. And so, you know, for me, it's like just get out there, use your voice be unafraid to be who you are. Recognize that anyone who's coming at you as a result are just, they're coming in from their perspective and that's okay. You know, I think healthy dialogue is always a good thing. Um, but talking about it is half the battle and making sure that we're vocalizing our perspectives is only going to help educate someone else who maybe doesn't understand or didn't live your experience. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that, and then, you know, separately as Little Words Project, we have chose chosen to focus on mental health as our primary, you know, messaging for our nonprofit uh, give back experience that we have. And one of the things that we have done is launch Little Words Big Impact, which is our big impact program. We launched it two years ago and we've already raised over $700,000 to various nonprofits. Thank you. Um, Largely in the mental health space, mental health and wellness space, largely for women, but we also work with you know, St. Jude's um, Children's Hospital. We work with um, American Cancer Society. We've worked with so many different incredible organizations that we're just always looking for ways to contribute to women really everywhere who are going through difficulty at any point in their life. So yeah, I think ultimately using, if you have a platform, leveraging that for good, putting your money where your mouth is, raising funds where you feel funds need to be raised. And as we head into this election year, it's, you know, if there is a cause specific to you that you think is super important, then doing what you can to contribute to it in some way, shape or form. And that's our commitment. Thank you. That is so powerful. Of course. Okay. Before we leave. Okay. I have a little gift for you. You do. do. You did not give me my own gift. I did. Oh my god, look how cute that is. It's so cute. Box is available for holiday. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, did you make this for me? I did. They were so cute. We went to the West Village store. Oh my and we made goodness. you break the, bias. break the bias. I love it. I, I'm loving these black beads, by the way. <gasps> They're really cool. They're very They're, good for fall. They are really good. And a little evil eye. Thank you for I protection. heard you were an evil eye girl. I am an evil and eye I am girl. Too, I so. love, I love it. I always have like a little evil. In fact, I made um I made one at the store opening this this week on Aries. I, I'm an Aries and both my kiddos are Aries. Oh, and I put one. my little pinky eye on that. So <gasps> we're, that. we're one and the same. <gasps> See? Thank you so much. You're this so is welcome. such a great reminder of what's necessary to move our society forward is in breaking that bias. So thank you for the work you do because it's super important. <gasps> thank you for the work you do too. Thank you. Oh, I have full body chills. I love this. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You just like, you just used my own trick on me. This is amazing. And it's right? like, and isn't it such a great experience? It is such a great it's experience. So, one of the things that I always say is I have customers who when I tell them the pitch I'm always like you know then you pass it on and you know I didn't even say the best part which is that there's a code on the back of the tag which you know right and each code is unique to that bracelet so you would use the code to connect it to our website and then you can track and see where the bracelet goes once you've passed it and I have customers when I tell them that they're like I'm never going to pass this on like I want to keep it for myself and we actually did this post-purchase survey where we asked if you did pass your bracelet on, would you do it again? And 100% of people said they would do it again. That's amazing. Because the experience is so good. Yeah. And giving and, you know, giving is so much better than receiving. And I think that's true for pretty much everything that we do in our lives. So 
It's so give, great. Give, give. It's sustainable. Exactly. It's all the things. It's just a really beautiful message. We're doing our best. Yes. And that's all that matters. Yes. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much. Oh, oh my gosh, I love thanks it. Thanks for being on. Thank you for having me. This was amazing. Thanks for listening to Break the Bias. To learn more about our special guest and to get show notes, please visit consciouslyunbiased.com backslash podcasts. Consciously Unbiased also offers interactive, unique DEIB learning experiences that you can check out on our website, consciouslyunbiased.com. And if you liked the show, please share with a friend and subscribe and rate Break the Bias on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.